Evening. You're all wondering, what well, this fella is here. I just want to uh, share something with you about me for a start off. Um, basically, I'm from Yorkshire. And one of the great things about having somebody to read the passage of Scripture for you is that I don't have to worry about putting the H's in where I should and leaving them out where I shouldn't and all the rest of it. So that's a great thing. So thank you very much for that. The other thing is, I'd just like to say that when I became, well, before I became a Christian, as I was a, a youngster growing up, uh, my dad was very influential on my life. He was an atheist. And so I grew up a devout atheist, if there is such a thing. And um, he used to take me to the bedroom window upstairs overlooking the main road where on a Sunday you would see all the people going down this road to church. And he said to me, you see those people there? They're all going to church. And look at the faces. They look as if they're going to the dentist. He said, and when they come back, they look as if they've just been to the dentist. <laughs> and that's what I grew up with. And uh, then I gradually sort of got involved in, in playing rugby league. Uh, those, you won't know what that is, but um, rugby league. And eventually I, I turned professional for Uddersfield, who were now Uddersfield Giants. And I'm talking now the 70s. Uh, you, you, I know you're all thinking, oh, he doesn't look that old. <laughs> but the 70s, I turned professional. And after a few years as a professional, I went down to Crystal Palace, qualified as a player coach, went and coached an amateur team, was very successful and was looking forward to coaching professionally. But then a strange thing happened. I went to a meeting and for the first time heard the gospel message. I stood up and committed my life to Christ. And that was absolutely mind-blowing. Sadly, my dad wasn't alive, so I could share what had, what had happened to me and show him that my face didn't at all look like I'd gone to the dentist or anything. And uh, mum didn't understand a word of what I was talking about, uh, but she understood that I was going to church. So that's a little bit, I, I could go on forever, but you, you haven't got enough time for me to talk about it. Lots of things happened during that time. And uh, I, I can remember very much what it's like as a professional sportsman continuing to be a Christian, that there's pressures, innumerable pressures. Uh, one of the things that happened was I, I, I just stopped getting drunk on a, on a training night. And one guy said to me, what's the matter with you? I said, well, I've become a Christian and I just don't see the need for it. And they said, oh, we'll give it six weeks and you'll go back drinking pints. Uh, I'm, I haven't got there yet. I'm, I'm okay. But I can remember what it's like. And I, I read this article just recently, which I want to sort of provide a, a starter for how we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. Last year during the World Cup, there was a businessman called Carl Baxter and he was absolutely convinced that England was going to win the World Cup. He was so convinced that he went out and spent an absolute 
18,000, he spent a fortune, but he bought 18,000 beautiful shirts with the words England Cup winners 2022, it's finally home. Remember what happened? They lost to France. He's now stuck with all these shirts. And so he sold the shirts at a steep discount and suggested to people to use them to clean the windows. He made a decision which uh, influenced the whole thing. And one, one thing has never, ever ceased in, throughout all history is the need to make decisions. No matter what happens, no matter what there is, we actually live in uncertain times. Look at the financial implications of things that's happening around the world. We wonder about whether we're going to have enough money to go to the next stage. We read so much about people not turning on the gas and the electric because they're, they're frightened of what the bill will be. We read of people wondering about buying a house, maybe starting a family, all sorts of things. But each one of those things depend upon someone, somewhere, making a decision. Sadly, for Mr. Baxter, his decision was based upon a gut feeling. You know, the world around us is, uh, it's, it seems certain of its opinions and the options going along. There are pundits arising everywhere that think they know what's going to happen. If you look on the media, you will see different items projected on the media saying, this is going to happen. If this happens, this will happen. And they tell you the, 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 the future. Pundits. Look at, look at the football matches that's on TV. Coming back to sport again. But uh, look at the football pundits on TV. And they talk as if they know absolutely everything. Pundits, strange as it may seem, can be wrong. You know, there's, they're almost always wrong. But nobody can predict. Nobody can say anything about what the future is going to bring except God. It all depends upon God. The world is encouraged to make decisions based upon all kinds of facts. But there is one fact that still remains. There is one we can trust, and his word never fails. As Christians, you and I must rely, learn to rely upon God's very special truth in the word of God. We need to realize that sp Scripture speaks louder than a thousand pundits or a thousand scoops that the, the reporters might have. Regardless of trends in the culture that we have in this country and in the world, we've got to stand firm in God's truth, never wavering. I'm so, I feel, I really feel so bad when I see things on television about so-called Christians and what they've been getting up to. And if I'm, if I'm hurt, God must be even more so. 
Regardless of the trends in our culture, we stand firm. Regardless by of threats by our enemies and those around us, we must never back down from our biblical view. God's word is filled with powerful and changing words. And it's God's personal message to his children. And we need to allow God's word to focus our decisions. Not what we think, not what someone else thinks, but what does God say about this thing? You know, this amazing chapter in, in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, about faith. And as I, I looked at that, I realized that uh, there's a sort of just one verse, one sentence, if you like, that explains the whole thing that we read from the scriptures earlier on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That's an amazing thing. What happened? What was different in these people's lives? And I began to look at that and, thought, and I realized that there were three things that, that occurred during that time. And the first thing that occurred was, number one, they heard God's word. They heard it. Joshua heard God speaking to him and he went and spoke to everybody else. Everybody heard the word of God. And to give you some idea of, of the, the size of this problem that was facing them with this, the walls of Jericho, I, I just can't help but sing Joshua at the Battle of Jericho when I read the passage. And it sounds so simple, but it's not. The walls actually enclosed an area of only approximately seven acres. But in some places, the walls were up to 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. And soldiers standing on the top of the walls could see for miles. Jericho was considered to be invincible. A great number of the citizens lived outside the walls because it was only so small. But at the shout of anything happening, everybody would run into the, the inside the walls and they would flood the area and the gates would be firmly shut and locked. The walls couldn't be crossed, no matter how large the army. That which was outside the walls stayed outside. That that was inside the walls stayed inside. Let's look again at Joshua uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. We see, first of all, in verse 2, God had come to Joshua, and he told him that he'd given the city into Joshua's hands. God called Abraham to live in the land of Canaan, but he told Joshua to possess the land. There's a difference between just living there and possessing it. And verses 6 and 7 tell us that Joshua told the priests and the army what God had said. Do you know something that reveals to me that faith comes alive in our hearts by hearing, by hearing the word of God. 
I used to smoke quite a lot. And about four times, I tried to stop smoking. I smoked a pipe. And I had pounds upon pounds of the pipes, special pipes. I even bought a special tobacco that smelt nice. And as I said, right, today I'm going to give up. As a Christian, I'm going to give up. And I put the pipes in a box, shoved them in the drawer, and left them. And about a week went by, and I started smoking again. It happened three times. And what happened? I read God's word that said, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I thought, wow. I'm a temple, my body's a temple, and I'm filling it with smoke. That can't be right. And I had no hesitation. I got the whole lot, put it in the box again, walked out to the bin, lifted the bin lid, dropped them in. Hundreds of pounds worth of pipes went in the bin. I shut the lid, never had any desire whatsoever to go back. The Word of God is powerful in everyone's life. And faith in Jesus Christ comes with hearing the Word of God. And that situation that maybe one of you or two of you or more is actually confronted with now, a decision that you've got to take sometime in the future, perhaps as a Christian, perhaps as a church leader, whatever it happens to be, you need to hear what God is saying to you. You need to get to grips with God's word. The second thing that I've noticed about this passage is that they believed in God's word. It's one thing to hear, it's another thing to believe. And he said in verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, so they believed God's word to them. I wonder if, like me, that if you're openly honest, you can talk about prayer and we often sort of pray for things and honestly don't really think that it's going to happen. It seems too big a, a thing, a too big an obstacle to overcome. Deep inside our lives, we, we believe that God maybe doesn't answer the cry. It's so easy to drop into that sort of temptation. There are times when what seems a sensible decision is the easiest option. The easiest option for the Israelite army was to sit down and discuss tactics. And they would cover every angle. I'm more convinced as each year goes by as I live my Christian life that there are times when we can be found guilty of using prayer to maybe tell God how we want things to work out. Have you been there in your life? I have. And I'm sure if we're honest, we, we do. We, we say, Lord, do this. Rather than really think of what God wants into this situation. Joshua didn't hesitate, and the people didn't hesitate. God didn't say to Joshua, uh, he didn't say, I will give Jericho into your hands. 
He said, I have given Jericho into your hands. It's in the past tense. I've done it. And they hadn't even made a shout at the walls. But God had a plan for Joshua, which sounded so simple. And we've read about that earlier on, what it entailed. It would have been a great temptation to regard, looking at the, the walls that surrounded them and, and uh, surrounded Jericho, and think, how on earth are we going to get into this place? But we're reminded again here that God's ways are not our ways. All Joshua had to do was to follow the way that God's strategy led him. God's strategy is based upon three characteristics. Number one, waiting with God. We need to be people who wait on God. Wait on God. The army had to wait each of seven days. And time and time again we see in Scripture the Lord God teaching us or instructing us to be still. I have a problem keeping still. I, the only time I'm still is when I fall asleep and Pat assures me I don't stay still when I'm asleep. But we, we have this problem, some of us, in waiting. Just wait. How many times do we read in the Bible the words at the right time or wait? You see, the world around us demands instant things. We can go to the shop and we're surrounded by instant coffee, instant this, instant that. Even instant remedies or instant relief. And we're in danger of losing the patience to wait. When we first moved to uh, Southwell, uh, when we came back from Bridlington after a time away from Nottingham, uh, we, we were remarking uh, how it was in, in Bridlington. And the first thing that we noticed in Bridlington was we had, where we lived, there was a little corner shop, which was a post office. And people used to go into the post office uh, either to pay for pensions or to buy something or whatever. It was a shop and a, a post office. And it was only a tiny place and would only fit two people in. But it was at the time of the uh, pandemic and uh, everybody was watching how close they got to people. So once you got two people in the, in the post office, it was packed. And people would wait outside in a queue. And the people at the front would start saying to the postmaster there, um, how's your day going? Oh, I'm having a terrific time. Did you see so-and-so on television last night? And I'm going like this, you know. But people that were there just stood and waited. Never bothered them. And I thought... I wish I could be like that. They've mastered this thing about waiting. And I think that I'm, maybe some of you here who has this problem like I do, I can't wait for things. I, have, I like the quick things, quick answers. 
But they, they had really got in this army this gift of waiting with God. After all, if Joshua had heard God correctly, couldn't they just charge in there and attack? No. God said, wait. The second thing is walking with God. The Bible doesn't tell us what the citizens of Jericho would be thinking when they saw these people outside the walls marching round. Maybe they thought, this is a little bit silly, or maybe they thought they're looking for a weak point in the walls. But they had seven priests carry trumpets around the walls in front of the ark. And before the, the walls collapsed, they let out this great big shout. And that to me tells me about worship. You know, that there's, there's real power in walking with God through worship. We need to be the people who will worship God in every conceivable situation. The third thing was in verse 10, no talking. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, Joshua said. It's rightly said that uh, God gave us one mouth and two ears, uh, quite correctly, I think, in some, some areas. Pat will tell you that I talk too much sometimes. But it's, it, it's twice as important to listen than to speak. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you get tied up in a, in a conversation where you're saying something and somebody joins in and starts to talk over you. And I can't multitask. I'm sorry for you, you know, all you people who can are, are standing in absolute awe. But I can't talk and listen at the same time. I cannot do it. But time will come for the army and the priests to use their mouths in worship to God. The army would shout and the priests would blow their horns, and, but it would be at a time when God willed it, not when they decided. And remember that man appoints, but it's God who anoints. The third thing that I gained from this uh, passage of Scripture is that they acted on God's word. And after Joshua had shared God's word to the people in verse 8, it says, When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Worship inspires action. And they had heard God's word, they believed God's word, and they acted on God's word. It's that acting that's the key thing. Before the Lord went forward, with some trumpets, it says they were carrying the some trumpets before the Lord, the Lord was with them. The Lord was there. It, the, his presence was syndicative of the Ark of the Covenant. God was with them. And they acted. Would anybody in the right mind do such a thing? Walk seven times around a wall? It doesn't seem possible. Why would anybody in the right mind do such a thing? The only plausible explanation that I can find 
is that the people had heard the word of the Lord spoken, they had believed that it was true, and then they acted in obedience. Uh, you know, I read just recently about a story, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he, years before he was president, when he was a youngster, he had an, an aunt who would take him uh, on a regular basis to a, the local cobbler to make his shoes, uh, have, have them fitted correctly and everything. And the cobbler asked uh, Regan on his visit, he said, do you want square toes or do you want round toes? At which uh, Regan replied, I, I don't really know. I can't really decide on that. So the shoemaker said, well, okay, I'll give you a few days to think about it. A few days later, he was walking on down the street and he saw Regan and he said, I'll go and ask him. So he went and asked Regan, have you made your mind up yet? Do you want square toes or do you want round toes? And he said, I don't know, I can't decide. So time went by again until eventually Reagan went into the shoe shop to pick up his shoes. And he went in there and the shoemaker gave him his shoes on the counter and what did he find? Reagan was the proud owner of one shoe with a square toe and one with a round toe. And the shoemaker said, that will teach you never to let people make your decisions. Don't let people make your decisions. Let God decide. You see, God's way is often to make a promise, then issue a command that makes sense. Doesn't make sense without the promise. The promise has to be there before the command for it to make sense. And then he issues that command and things begin to happen. He promised Noah that the flood would come. And then he commanded Noah to build an ark. And Noah did it. He, com he promised Abraham a family and land around him. And then he commanded Abraham to leave almost everything he'd ever known and had. Abraham did it. He promised Moses that he would rescue the people from Egypt and commanded him to make demands of the most powerful monarch in the area. Faith hears the promise, hears the command, believes both and acts in obedience. And if Joshua was to be successful, he needed to fill his heart and mind with God's word. He needed no university degree. He needed no course on military strategy. He didn't even need a book on how to win friends and influence people. He was obedient to God's word. And as you and I abide in God's word today, we must read it and ask, what am I being promised? What am I being commanded? And what will my obedience really look like in my life today? And in doing this, God's word will strengthen our faith, enabling us to persevere through trials and discover afresh 
This God was, is infinitely interested in you and I. Alistair Begg, the uh, wonderful Bible uh, writer and Bible commentator, says this. When we do these things, then we will see evil fortresses fall, gates of hell unhinged and laid in the dirt, or pagan philosophies dismantled, and the rampages of evil in our world torn down. We must make decisions to follow the example of Joshua. It was God who brought the walls down. You know, life can be so complicated. But following God is, is not complicated at all. It can be summed up in two verbs. And those verbs are trust and obey. And maybe some of you are sat there thinking, well, it sounds, all, it sounds all right, but, you know, I've got an arthritic leg and I'm, I've got backache and I'm, I'm knocking on a bit. I don't think I can cope with all this. It's too much for an oldie like me. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, found myself talking to someone in a church who just celebrated 100 years and he had the Jesus written all of his face. It was amazing. When he started to talk about the Lord, he, he lit up. I thought, my goodness me. He, he couldn't hear a word you were saying to him. But it was sound. It was, it was great. And I wanted to leave you with some encouragement, really. And those of you who, like me, are getting a little bit, you know, knocking on a little bit, I want you to remember this story. No matter how old we may be, there was a 19th century Anglican preacher called Charles Simeon. He retired after 54 years of ministry. How did he do it? 54 years of ministry. And a friend discovered that he still rose at 4 a.m. to pray and to study scripture. 4 a.m. When it was suggested to him to take it easier, he responded with the words, Shall I not now run with all my might when the winning post is in sight? Shall I not run with all my might when the winning post is in sight? What a lesson to us all. We're never too old. We're never too young to see what God can do if we trust and obey. Take heart. The winning post is in sight. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your words that are so much of a, an encouragement and a challenge to us. And Lord, we pray that as we meet together as a fellowship, as your people, Lord, we pray that we might allow you to mold our lives and to take us forward in your pace, and in your will. Lord, help us to be obedient people. Help us to understand, Lord, that you have our best in mind for us. So, Lord, we, we just give you thanks for the fact that you are in control of the future. And, Lord, we pray that as we go with you into that future, we shall know the, the blessing and the glory of serving you. So Father, we pray for your 
ultimate blessing to be upon this fellowship to encourage them in their way forward in every aspect. And Lord, we pray that we shall finish that which you have given to us to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.